Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. Hear now God's Word. Jesus said, But why do you call me Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. You may be seated. Well, I hope to keep my promise from last week. Since last week's sermon was longer than usual, I intend for this one to be shorter than usual. We'll see how that goes. Not every meal is the same. So let's think of this as a finishing course for last week's main course. Uh, Allow me to change the metaphor. If you were having a physical exam to determine the state of your health, a physician would probe you, ask you questions, and probably run some tests. And it's possible, of course, for you to make false assumptions about your health. And I want to suggest that the same is true regarding your spiritual health. These in this story were people who had come to Jesus to were told to hear his sayings, and thus they presume themselves to be his disciples. But Jesus says that only those who do his words are actually his disciples. He wants people who are learning in order to do, not learning in order to impress. So my question for us this morning is simple. Are we Genuine disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, or are we something else? This is a threshold question. And the answer to this, critical, to this is critical not only to your present life, but to your eternal soul. To build a house that is not safe, that is not well built, that is not sturdy, that is not stable, is perhaps... Uh, worse than having no house at all. The world is full of the rich and the famous. We see their stories all around us. Sometimes people admire them, want to be like them. But then often those stories end in tragedy, often with a great fall, often in sorrow. And we don't always hear about that, but we do hear about it, and it's tragic. And yet again, many want to emulate them. The Bible takes a fair amount of time to address this subject, being careful to draw clear lines between genuine and false believers. The Bible is full of very serious warnings. And I know in this exam process there is always a danger of crushing sensitive souls. So allow me to begin what we're going to look at with the necessary qualifications and limitations. 
Yes, every true Christian is a sinner and falls short of perfection. We all sin. Following Jesus is a process of growth, a process of maturity. It is progressive. It is on the move. You should be able to look in your rearview mirror and see progress. I've come a long way. Do I still have a ways to go as the Apostle Paul said he did? Yes, I do in both directions. Yes, I've made progress. I see the hand of God. I see the work of the Holy Spirit. I see uh, growth, overcoming sin, becoming stronger and stronger in Christ. And I still see there's a ways to go. I still have not completely arrived. That is the view we should have. True Christians are dealing with internal and external circumstances that make following Jesus difficult at times. Nevertheless, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. In other words, there's fruit. There's evidence of life. 1 John 3, 7-10, Little children, let no one deceive you. There's another one of those warnings. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins, sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. And, of course, again, you've got to put all that in context. He's not saying you are sinless. But the, the essence of your life is one of righteousness, one of following Jesus, one of growing and maturing and becoming more and more like him. That is the evidence, not only for you, but for anybody who's looking at you. They can see that. And then verse 10, in this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious or manifest, revealed. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So as Jesus comes to the end of a sermon, uh, the Beatitudes, in which he has said some difficult things, he drives home the necessity of doing or practicing or obeying what he has taught. He asks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say? He then concludes with his parable of two men building houses. The first lays his foundation on the rock so that his house stands firm when the storms or the floods burst against it. And, of course, the second foolishly builds his house without the proper foundation so that when those same storms or floods come, it is destroyed. In the parable, the foundation is obedience to Christ's words. The man who didn't build on the foundation heard Jesus' teachings. Perhaps he agreed with it superficially, as seen by the fact that he calls Jesus Lord. But he didn't build his house the way Jesus was teaching him to, resulting in a catastrophic loss. Jesus isn't teaching that we must achieve sinless perfection in order to enter his kingdom. Rather, he is teaching what James later underscored in his epistle, that faith without works is dead. It's not enough to give intellectual assent, not enough to say, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, or I believe uh, he's teaching the truth. 
that has to go further. There has to now, that has to take root and bear fruit. Genuine faith isn't simply intellectual assent. It is faith that submits to the lordship of Jesus, resulting in a life of progressive holiness. Growth is how we would put that in kind of simple terms. So obedience is not optional because it's the true test of a professing Christian. If we call him Lord, we prove it. We prove that he is, in fact, our Lord by doing what he says to do, by doing his word. Now, I want to commend all of you for coming to hear the word of God. Most of you are here every week. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But in the Bible, we need to remember there are two kinds of hearing. There is hearing with the ears only. I remember uh, some years ago a friend telling me about uh, a term that I liked and uh, remembered it, uh, ass-eared Christians, ass-eared students. Now he's talking about a jackass. He said you can put on classical music for a jackass and he'll turn his ears and listen to the music. But you think he's appreciating Chopin? Um, So that's what it's being talked about. It's possible to even give that, I have a new puppy, and he cocks his head in that kind of cute, like he's really, really contemplating what you're talking about uh, when, in fact, he's actually about to do something he shouldn't do. Um, But you can look like you're listening or pseudo-listening. You can hear the words. They can come in and hit your eardrum. But then there is, in the Bible, a deeper hearing. For example, Jesus says on several occasions as a way of emphasizing this, let him, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's use those ears to, t- to do something deeper. When a parent tells a child to do something and that child doesn't do it, the parent might ask, did you hear what I said? Or the child, having been distracted, might say, oh, I didn't hear you. The evidence of having really heard what was said is simply obedience. It's the evidence of faith, believing. It's the evidence of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So many gathered to listen to Jesus, and they still do. But some of that gathering reminds me of what was said about the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33. Uh, he says, As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and the doors of the houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. In other words, everybody wants to come hear Ezekiel. So they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. Same situation Jesus is talking about in this parable. For with their mouth they show much love, uh, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and who can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among you. And again, I think that's the same situation Jesus is speaking about here. 
Uh, Bishop J.C. Ryle said, Let it be a settled principle again in our religion that when a man's general conversation is godly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. Uh, excuse me. When his general conversation is ungodly, his heart is graceless and unconverted. In other words, if you're talking nasty when you're away from church and when you're out there hanging out with your friends and, and you're crude and rude and, and ungodly in the way you're talking, then that's an indication that you have a graceless, unconverted heart. Let us not give way to the vulgar notion that although men are living wickedly, they have got good hearts at the bottom. Such notions are flatly contradictory to our Lord's teaching. It is the general tone of a man's, uh, is the general tone of a man's communication carnal, worldly, irreligious, godless, or profane? Then let us understand that this is the state of his heart. When a man's tongue is generally wrong, it is absurd no less than unscriptural to say that his heart is right. Over the years, I've known several, young and old, male and female, who showed me, as a pastor, outward respect. Yes, sir, Pastor Booth. They acted like they were humble, that they were listening to godly counsel. Those outward signs of respect, though, in some cases, turned out to be false. There are some who do the same with the words of Jesus. They live a double life. And James warns, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, because he is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Again, Ryle observes, Obedience is the only sound evidence of saving faith. And the talk of the lips is worse than useless, if not accompanied by sanctification of life. John Bunyan wrote about this in his famous allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. And on, on their journey to the celestial city, Christian, the main character, and Faithful, his companion, met a man named Talkative, who was always conversing about spiritual things, but he was not living a Christian life. He was talking the talk without walking the walk. And so Christian warned faithful about this. And I want to read a section from Pilgrim's Progress here. And so Christian is talking to his friend faithful, and he's talking about the third person whose name is talkative. said he talks of prayer, of repentance, of faith, and of the new birth, but he knows but only to talk of them. I have been in his family, and I've observed him both at home and abroad, and I know what I say of him is the truth. His house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of savor. There is neither prayer nor sign of repentance for sin. Yea, the brute in his kind serves God better than he. He is the very stain, reproach, and shame of religion to all that know him. They hardly have a good word in all that end of the town where he dwells. Thus say the common people that know him, a saint abroad and a devil at home. 
His poor family finds it true. He is such a churl, such a railer at, and so unreasonable with his servants that they neither know how to do for or speak to him. For my part, I am of the opinion that he has, by his wicked life, caused many to stumble and fall, and will be, if God doesn't prevent it, the ruin of many more. This talkative is not aware of himself. He thinks that hearing and saying will make a good Christian. And thus he deceives his own soul. Hearing is but as the sowing of the seed. Talking is not sufficient to prove that fruit is indeed in the heart and life. And let us assure ourselves that at the day of doom, men shall be judged according to their fruits. The end of the world is compared to our harvest, and you know men at harvest regard nothing but fruit, not that anything can be accepted that is not of faith. And so obedience is not optional because it is the foundation that will withstand the test of time and eternity. The flood refers to the trials of life as well as to the flood of future judgment. Which we will all, which we must all stand before God. The context in Matthew, or the parallel passage, emphasizes more of the future judgment, while Luke focuses more on the trials of life, but neither passage refers exclusively to one or the other. The point of the parable Jesus is telling is that every life will be tested. Tested by storms and floods of all sizes and intensities. They are coming to your life as surely as the seasons of the year. Some are broad, perhaps cultural, and some are local and very personal. Like the three little pigs, you're building some kind of a structure right now. Or perhaps no structure at all. Coming to church is necessary, but not sufficient. Hearing a sermon is necessary. Uh, Coming to worship is necessary, but not sufficient. Being a doer of the word is both necessary and sufficient. James warned us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because he said if you do that, you deceive yourself. Before the flood, both houses in this story would look the same perhaps to the casual observer. But there was a vast difference between them after the flood hit. We were watching one of these fix-it shows uh, the other day. Um, and it was, it's, a, it's a show that just deals with restoration of homes in Galveston. And there was a home we, we watched being restored that was built in uh, uh, 1898, which was before the big hurricane that hit there. So there are a few of those homes that are still standing after that. And, of course, that was a massive storm. And so, obviously, that house had to have been built pretty well uh, uh, at the time to withstand that. And so, um, in this case, in this story, one of, one of them storm st- stood firm while the other uh, was in shambles. The difference was in the hidden part, the foundation. Foundations aren't very glamorous. 
but they are absolutely essential if you want the building to stand for any length of time. The foundation of obedience uh, enables a Christian to stand firm when the trials hit. So it's a given that you have trials coming, storms coming, floods coming. The only question is how you'll handle those. Because according to the words of Jesus, ultimately it is the doer of his word who has the solid foundation, who has the right to tell people, think about this, who has the right to tell people to build their whole lives on his word except God himself? Again, Ryle writes, such a man's religion may cost him much. Like the house built on a rock, it may, entail on, it may entail on him pains and labor and self-denial to lay aside pride and self-righteousness, to crucify a rebellious flesh, to put on the mind of Christ, to take up a cross daily, to count all things lost for Christ's sake. All this may be hard work, but like the house built on the rock, such religion will stand The streams of affliction may beat violently upon it, and the floods of persecution dash dash fiercely against it, but it will not give way. And then we have a warning. Obedience is not optional, optional because those who don't obey Christ face a certain, face sudden and final destruction. Of course, the final trial we will all face, that is, we're all going to die and stand before God. And he knows everything about us. Hebrews 4.13, one of the the really scary verses. There are quite a few scary verses to me, but this is one that's right up there at the top. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. If we have been hypocrites, putting up a good front for others, claiming to be Christians, but all the while living in disobedience, it will all come crashing down in the flood of God's final judgment. The Bible is abundantly clear that that day is both certain and final. It's not popular to preach this anymore. It wasn't popular to preach it then. Jesus doesn't end this parable, by the way, like a good preacher, with words of consolation, but rather with words of warning, which is what Jesus wanted his audience to take away. Remember, Jesus was speaking to people who had come to hear him and who considered themselves to be his disciples. Some of them weren't doing what he said, and I'm sure that it showed in the kind of friends they had and even in their families. They had a form of godliness, exterior, but no foundation. A flood of persecution might come and wash them away. A critical compromise would cause them to crumble. A flood of bitterness or disappointment, and it would all come tumbling down. You see, trouble is always the test. And it's hard to know a foundation by simply looking at the exterior. Notice this in verse 48. When Jesus told his disciples where to build their lives, he didn't say build it on a rock. He said build it on 
the rock. The great Scottish preacher, author John Gossip, experienced this profound truth after the tragic and early death of his beloved wife. He grieved deeply, but his faith didn't fail, and upon his return to the pulpit, he said this to the congregation. I don't think we need to be afraid of life. Our hearts are very frail, and there are places where the road is very steep and very lonely. But we have a wonderful God. And as Paul puts it, what can separate us from his love? Not death, he says immediately, pushing that aside at once as the most obvious of all impossibilities. No, not death. For I stand here in the roaring of the Jordan, cold to the heart with its dreadful chill and very conscious of the terror of its rushing. I can call back to you who, one day in your time, will have to cross it. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, my friend, for I feel the bottom and it is sound. Why would I preach a sermon like this? Do I have this kind of concern for all or most of you? I don't. But I do have it for some of you. And I wouldn't be a faithful shepherd if I didn't warn you. As Jesus did himself of the real danger of hearing outwardly, but not hearing inwardly. In other places, Jesus said similar things. In Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, but because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Matthew 5:17 through 20 Even so every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit a good tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a bad tree bear good fruit every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire therefore by their fruits you will know them Matthew 7 21 through 23 Not everyone who says to me Lord Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Over my 38 years of pastoring, I have seen too many presumptuous people go off the rails living double lives that lead to their ruin. I do think there are perhaps some of those among us now. And there is no age limit that is immune to these warnings. Paul instructed the Corinthians, the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, the church members, the baptized people, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. 
Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us ears to hear, to hear you, and to do what you say. Grant us the desire to build on the rock of your words. Prepare us for the daily floods and for the great and final flood. May we be found standing with all the faithful. Amen.